And as you've already heard, we have been uh, incorporating and, 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 um, and thinking through a little bit uh, the work of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, on this holiday weekend. And the reason that we're doing that is not for political reasons and not to jump on any kind of cultural bandwagon. The reason that we're doing it is because the life and work of Martin Luther King uh, was deeply embedded in, it was rooted in the gospel of Jesus. You don't always hear that uh, when people talk and think about Martin Luther King, but it's true. Uh, so much of who he was was rooted in his faith and his love of Jesus. Um, I want to share with you a quote in just a second that comes uh, from one of the last sermons that King ever preached. It actually came just a, about two weeks before uh, the other sermon that was referred to. Um, it's a sermon that he preached at the church where he was a pastor, Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. A lot of times when you see this quote, it says, uh, this came from one of the last speeches of King. That's not quite true. It came from the, one of the last sermons that he preached. But I want to highlight this uh, so it can give us some orientation for what we're going to talk about today. Take a look at this. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. And there he's saying that the path to true greatness um, is not, uh, it's not by the, the, the accomplishments that you can get done in your life. It's not by the amount of money that you can amass. Uh, it's not by your physical uh, accomplishments, what you can do physically. It's not by your physical attractiveness, according to whatever uh, kind of metric that is judged by. It's not by what the people around you say about you. True greatness lies in, listen, being able to put your attention on somebody else and on their needs and on the ways that they can flourish and then giving yourself to them so that they can shine. So that the ways that God has um, called them to live in, in love so that that can get done better. We all know this. We know that that's what true greatness is, that it is uh, taking your attention off yourself and then giving your attention to somebody else so that joy will be closer at hand for them, so that their path will be smoother. That's what real greatness is. We can get distracted a little bit about what real greatness is, but that's what it is. I, I saw a movie uh, about, I don't know, a couple of years ago. It was called Free Solo. Uh, it's a documentary about a mountain climber named Alex Honnold, and he climbs mostly in the free solo style. If you don't know what that is, it means you don't use any belts or ropes or hooks, or anything else. It means that you go up onto the face of a mountain, and there he is in this documentary. He's only wearing a t-shirt and shorts and climbing shoes, and he's thousands of feet up into the air. It's a remarkable movie. He's a remarkable person that he's used these skills that God has given him, and he's invested himself to learn how to do that. It's really impressive. It's impressive, but here's what greatness is. Greatness is going to a school and reading to children or helping to tutor children who wouldn't otherwise have that help in order to excel academically. Real greatness is uh, knowing that somebody in your circle, somebody that you know is suffering or struggling in some way, and so you make a meal and you take it to them, and then you take them another meal, and then you keep checking in on them. That's greatness. Real greatness is having a relationship with somebody such that you can tell them the good news of Jesus, that you can tell them how much Jesus loves them and to invite them 
into a relationship with Jesus, to invite them into the real life that comes when we follow him. That's greatness. Real greatness is taking money that is yours and then using it to pay somebody else's rent who wouldn't be able to, to get by or, or using it in order to have somebody in Central America would be able to have clean water. That's real greatness. And, you know, they don't make movies about people that do those things. But the people that do those things, those are mountains that God still wants us to climb. He wants you to climb those mountains. But if you choose to be great like that, they're not going to make movies about you, and maybe nobody will know about it. Maybe the only one who will see you do that will be the Lord God Almighty. And the only kind of fame that you will attain if you choose to be great like that is fame that happens in the halls of heaven, and it will only last for eternity. True greatness comes from considering the needs of the people around you. But there's something else that I really love about this quote. Take a look at the very end of it. It's saying here that not only is true greatness come through service, but also it's very difficult. Look at you only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. What he's saying there is that if you want to be great, if you want to be a servant, it's going to be really hard. It means that you're going to have to have resources inside of you that are going to have to come from somewhere else. See what it says? You need a heart full of grace. Picture your heart like an empty cup. And if you want to share with somebody else, somebody has to pour into you. And that somebody is God. You have to have divine love poured into you in order to share it with other people. It says also there, you need a soul generated by love. I want you to picture your soul like a sail, a white sail on a tall ship. And there it is, it's just laying slack. And for the boat to get where it needs to go, the wind has to come, the spirit has to blow. And the only way for that ship to go anywhere, the only way for that sail that is your soul to be filled up is for that wind to come and it has to come from God. And so what King is identifying here is that in order for you and I to be servants, we need God's power in our life. You need a heart full of grace. You need a soul generated by love. And what I want to do this morning is I want to share a story with you that comes from the Gospels. And Jesus is saying the same thing that King is saying here. He's saying that real greatness comes from service, but also if you want to be a servant for Jesus, you have to have the power and the love and the presence of Jesus in your life. The story comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. If you have a Bible with you, it'd be great to look along. If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses are going to show up right here. We're going to do the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, and it's going to start in verse 20. These are the disciples of Jesus. They get greatness a little bit wrong sometimes. See if this looks familiar. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Okay, let's stop for a second. First of all, the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee are the, one of the two earliest, two of the two earliest disciples of Jesus, James and John. That's who they are. And now their mother comes with a request to Jesus. And, you know, their mother is only doing what most good moms would want to do. They want their, mom, their kids in the gifted and talented program. <laughs> and they not only want their kids in the gifted and talented program, but look at what she's asking for. She's actually not only just asking for that. She wants her kids to be at the table of honor at the end of the year banquet. 
before anything has happened. Because this woman knows well the, the protocol of antiquity, which is those who sit at the right and at the left of the chief, the leader, the Lord, that those are the places of honor. And so she's saying, you know, the end of the year banquet, can my kids sit at either side of you? And, you know, we shouldn't be too hard on this mother because I'll tell you, this request is not coming from the mother. It's coming through the mother. And here's how we know this. One way we know it is in the gospel of Mark, the mother is not even mentioned. And the other way we know it is if we keep reading, Jesus knows who's really talking to him here. Take a look. Verse 22. But Jesus answered, you don't know, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? He's talking to those sons now. They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand at my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Okay, let's stop here a second. Jesus is already beginning to correct them. They're looking to find out what greatness is. And he's telling them that they're looking through the wrong end of the binoculars. <laughs> he says that greatness comes if you're going to be great, you're going to have to be a servant and you're going to have to drink the cup. And if you're thinking that that's a little strange, it is. But what Jesus is referring to when he says the cup, see the cup all throughout the scriptures, the Old Testament and the new, the cup is always a reference to suffering. The cup is always a reference to God's anger at the ways that the world is broken and also what it will cost to make the world whole. And so Jesus is saying, oh, you want to be great. It's going to take something which you have no idea. It's going to be harder than you can imagine. It's going to be a cup that I am going to drink. And if you want to follow after me, you have to drink that cup too. The cup of God's anger at the ways the world is broken and the cup of suffering that will take to put it back together. Let's keep going. We, we can see here, it's not just those two brothers that need to hear this. When the 10 heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. <laughs> You see, the 10, those are the disciples of Jesus. So the other 10, the two, there's 12 of them together. And they are angry to hear this, but they're not angry out of shocked modesty. They aren't angry out of humility. They're just jealous. Keep reading. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. Stop for a second here. Jesus gathers them all around, not just the two, not just the 10, but he gathers all of us, all of us around right now. And he says, if you want to know what it takes to be great, if you want to know what it takes to be a servant, I'm going to tell you, and this is what he says, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm going to leave this last slide up here for a second. Because here is where Jesus is not only showing us what real greatness is. It's to be a servant. It's to be a slave. It's to give your life. He's also showing us, just like King did, that if you want to be great, if you're hearing this right now and you're saying, yeah, I know greatness is to be a servant. If you want that, then you're going to need God's power in your life. You're going to need Jesus to be the one who pours into you and fills up your cup and fills up your sail. It's going to have to be him that does this. And he shows us here so that there are really two things here that we need to pay attention to. We need to pay attention that Jesus is the one that we have to imitate 
But also the second thing that we're going to see here is Jesus is going to be the one who will liberate. So those are our two points today. Jesus is the one that we can imitate in service, but Jesus is also going to be the one who will liberate us from service. Okay, before we go any further, I need to say, you notice those two things rhymed? I'm not proud of that. Okay, that's a little, that was a little cheesy. It's a little corny. And so I'm apologizing in advance. And I'm also saying that um, Pastor Christian is on vacation this week. And um, he doesn't need to know about the way that these two things rhyme. This can just stay right here among us, the people online. We don't need to talk about that. He's got a lot on his mind. Don't text him. Just let's leave him. He's, do, he's got plenty to do, okay? But the reason that I'm making these rhyme and it's a little cheesy is I want you to remember them. And the reason that I'm also talking about them is they really are in the text, that Jesus is the one that we imitate. But also, if you want to be a servant and imitate him, you have to be liberated. And both of those things are in our text, and I'll, I'll hope to show you here in a second. So here's the first one. Jesus is the one that we are to imitate. Now, I'm sure it's probably the case for you. It's been the case for me that if you want to learn how to do something, one of the best ways to do it is come alongside someone who already knows how to do what you want to do and watch them. So when I was learning how to play guitar, I would go alongside my friends who really knew how to play, and I would look, and I would watch their hands, and I'd think, that, okay, that's how you make that chord. How do you get your pinky to go down that, down that far? I would watch somebody so that I could imitate them. Maybe some of you who are parents, there are parents that you know who just seem to parent with a kind of grace, a certain kind of love and ease, and you find yourself imitating them. Some of the things that they say, you say. Some of the things that they do, you want to do. Or if you're an athlete in any way, or you play a sport, let's say you play tennis, or let's say you golf, you, you want to look at someone else who has the serve that you want, and you want to see how they do it, or, or, or how they swing. Ah, that's how they, they put their feet. If you want to do something well, a great way to do it is to imitate somebody. And Jesus is saying here that we should imitate him. When it comes to being a servant, when it comes to learning how to serve you imitate him. And the place that I'm getting this from are these two little words, just as. Take a look here again. Highlighting the word servant. You must, to grow your eight, you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. So he's saying, you need to be a servant. Do it just as I do it. You need to be a slave. Do it just as I do it. And so now here's where we're going to look at Jesus. And let's take a look at those two words. I know there's some people here who love Bible study, who love digging into words. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to look at these two words that Jesus gives us, servant and slave. And as you hear these two words, I don't want you just to think about what they do in your mind. I want you to think about what it might be like for you to be a servant and for you to be a slave. Think about practically how these things would play out in your mind. So take a look now at this first word, servant. Jesus says we're called to be servants. So servant comes from the Greek. It comes, it's the Greek word diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. You know, people in churches who serve, who lead in some way, this is where we get it. And a deacon, a diakonos, a servant, is one who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant or attendant to another, the servant of a king. So a servant is somebody whose concern, whose job is, I'm going to make them flourish. 
A servant is somebody who looks and says, that's their job. I'm going to help them do their job. I'm going to make it easy for them to do their job. One commentator that I looked at said, a diakonos, a servant, it's really about what you do. What is your task? It's to make somebody else flourish. And I was thinking this week about examples of that in my own life. And one of those examples is a man named Josh Dyke. Some of you know Josh. Josh works here at the church. He does lots and lots of things. But one of the things that he does is he leads the production team. And production team is the lights and the slides and the microphone. And when I show up here in the morning, this is what Josh does. I come up here and he fusses with my microphone and I stand up here and they do the knobs and he's wanting to help me to do my job. My job is to proclaim God's word and his job is to be a diaconos. He says, I'm going to help him. And that's what all of the folks from the production team do so that people at home or each one of you so that the lights look right and so that you can hear me clearly. And so that everything comes off without a hitch. That's what a diaconos does. He says, I'm going to make sure that he can do his job better. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to be a diaconos. We'll look at how Jesus does it in a second. But now just think for a moment. How would you be someone who looked at the tasks of somebody else, the calling of somebody else and say, I'm going to help them to do it. I'm going to make it so that the light shines on them. That's what a diaconos is. And now let's go to the next one. It's slave. And this This is a fraught one, but we're going to look at it. Slave, it comes from the Greek word doulos. And it means slave, a person of servile condition, one who belongs to another. The same commentator that I was looking at who talked about a diakonos, a servant, is it's all about what you do. And this one is, is it's about who you belong to. A slave is somebody who belongs to somebody else. And again, this is a fraught thing for all of us here in America to talk about. Because the history of race-based slavery, the, the slavery that existed in our country for so long, it's such a stain and a blot on our country. And so here you hear Jesus saying, you need to belong to somebody else. But what Jesus is talking about is belonging to God himself. For one human being to belong to another human being is inhuman. And the scripture from beginning to end says that very same thing. There's been much made of many slave owners and people throughout American history who tried to find a basis in the Bible for saying, this is why we are able to hold slaves, because the Bible says that we can. But the truth is, and this is the truth, is that if you want to go to the Bible to have justification for slavery, you're going to have to go there with scissors and a Sharpie marker to cut out all the places that says slavery is absolutely against the will of God and to fill in places, the places where it does not say that it is. If you go to the Old Testament, the whole narrative, the central narrative of the people of God is being released from slavery. And it's the same in the New Testament. Paul writes a letter, Philemon, you can read it tonight, about the release of a slave named Onesimus. From beginning to end, it's all about the release from slavery. And so if we're hearing this and we say, Oh, that means that I have to be a slave to? Yes, to the God who is love. To be a slave to the God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who shows compassion, who forgives iniquity. That's the one that Jesus says that he is a slave to. And think about who is, who's saying that. Jesus Christ, the one who spoke the world into existence, who spoke the cosmos into existence, saying, Oh, I'm his slave. I'm the slave 
of God. I belong to him. I can't do anything that I don't see him doing. I only do the will of my father. That's what Jesus says. So if you and I think, I can't be a slave to anyone. Well, he can. Jesus Christ, the glorious, the ever living one says, I'm a slave. And so Jesus here is showing us that he is a servant and he's a slave. So if we're going to imitate him, let's even drill down farther. Let's think of some examples of Jesus being a servant. The very night before Jesus's life, he's walking with his disciples and he's walking through fields and he's walking through lanes and he's walking through places where animals are and he's walking through the dust and they're all walking and they're wearing sandals. And when they arrive where they're going, what happens is what always happened at that time was that it was the job of the servant or the slave to wash people's feet before they came in the house. And Jesus gets down on his hands and his knees and he puts on an apron, the apron of a servant, and he begins to wash their feet. He's giving them an example and he's giving us an example to imitate that he decides that he is going to be the servant of all. The one who is the Lord says, I'm going to be the servant of all. And I'll tell you, friends, listen, Jesus is still washing you now today. It isn't just something that happened a long time ago. The ministry of Jesus, the servanthood of Jesus for you. He's your servant and he has decided to wash you clean by his mercy and by his love and by his sacrifice and by his blood. It's his decision to wash you clean of your sin, of your brokenness. That's what he has decided to do for you. That's how he is a servant. Let's look at one more. Jesus is one who decides to feed. We, we uh, all know the stories of Jesus taking a little bit of loaves and a little bit of bread and, and fish and multiplying it for thousands and thousands of people, right? You know that story. And usually what people talk about is the big miracle there is that he takes a very small amount of fish and he takes a very small amount of bread and he feeds a whole multitude. And that is a miracle. But here's another miracle is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, decides to become a caterer. He sees a great mass of people who are hungry, who have gotten themselves into a bind. They don't have enough to eat, and he decides to make it his business to feed all of them. When you go to a party, when you go to a cocktail gala or something like that, it's the people that come around. You don't really notice them. You don't see their faces, but they bring out the little bread and the little roast beef on the top of it and the drink, and then they bring out the one that's a vegetable. I don't want that one. I want the vegetable. Where's the shrimp? They come out. You don't see them, and you really don't see the people back in the kitchen, and that's who Jesus Christ identifies with. In that big mass, he says, I'm the one who feeds all of these people, and throughout the Gospels, do you know Jesus does that most of all for the people who are on the margins? He does it for the people who naturally he would say they are his enemies, the Samaritans, the Samaritans were those who were wrong racially and they were wrong religiously and they were wrong culturally. And Jesus goes to them and says, I'm gonna be their servant. He says it to the Roman soldiers who were occupying Judea, who were preventing people from worshiping, who were taking away the land of his people and they should have been his enemies. And so he looks at them and he says, they're wrong about religion and they're wrong about, about the country and they're wrong about me. I'm gonna be their servant. And so if we're going to imitate Jesus, then you're going to have to go into your mind and you have to think, who do I think is wrong? Who do I think is my enemy? Who are the people that I think are wrong politically? 
and you're going to have to look at those people and you're going to have to say, they're wrong about that. Oh, I'm their servant. Or the people that you think are wrong theologically or religiously, you think they don't get it. They just don't get it at all. Oh, they don't. Well, if I'm going to be like Jesus, then I'm going to have to become their servant. The people who you think are wrong about sexual ethics, they don't get it. This is, this is really wrong. Oh, you think that? Okay. Then you are their servant. And Jesus does this over and over and over in the gospels. He makes himself the servants of the people who are most in need. And even the people who we might say are the ones who are wrong. And so here is the one we are called to imitate. You know, King, uh, Martin Luther King, in that sermon that I'm referring to, he refers to the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells. Does some of you know that story? It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's about a man who's walking down from Jerusalem, and he's on a lonely kind of road, and he is set upon by robbers, and he is beaten, and he is stripped, and he is robbed, and he is left for dead. He is helpless, literally without help. And as he is laying there without any recourse to anything, on the precipice of death, first walks by a priest, and the priest just keeps walking by. And next, next walks by a preacher, somebody like me, studies the Bible, and that person just walks by. And then finally, a Samaritan, somebody who's wrong racially, who's wrong culturally, walks by, and the Samaritan stops and stoops down and gives of himself, gives of his money and his time and of his body and makes it so that one is saved. And here's what King says is the difference between those religious people that kept walking by and the Samaritan who decided to stop and be a servant. This is the difference. Those two religious people were thinking to themselves as they saw that person, what will become of me if I stop and become this person's servant? And the Samaritan, when he saw that person, helpless, said, what will become of him if I don't stop and become his servant? Jesus Christ is the one that we're called to imitate. And I'll tell you also, friends, that just like Jesus, just like that Samaritan stopped and helped that person on the road, Jesus has done the same thing for you. Some of you know that and some of you don't, but it doesn't matter whether you know it or not. Jesus has stooped down and become your servant and helped you in your time of greatest need. And so you should imitate him. But I'll also tell you this, whether you imitate him or not, whether you become a servant just like he is, write this verse on your, on your, on your refrigerator, write it on your hand, write it somewhere where it'll never go away. 2 Timothy 2.13. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. If you don't imitate him, he'll still be your servant. But you should be a servant. You should imitate him. So that's our first point. Jesus is the one that we imitate. Here's the next one. And it's that Jesus is the one who will liberate us. It still rhymes, but it's still true. And it's found right here in verse 28. Take a look. Just as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That word ransom is key because that word is telling us that if you want to be a servant, you're not going to be able to do it until you get set free, until you get sprung from the jail that you're in. And we don't need to do a lot of Greek word study to figure out what the word ransom means because you've seen all the murder mysteries and you've seen the villain and he's cutting out the letter that he's going to send to the people because he has kidnapped 
the daughter, and he's cutting it out from different magazines. And the message goes out, and the message says, I'm holding your daughter, and if you don't pay the ransom, $1 million, she'll remain in bondage. But if you pay the ransom, then we'll set her free. Jesus here is saying to anyone who wants to be a servant, you have to have a ransom paid for you. If you want to be a servant, if you want to be set free into the life that God has for you, you have to have a ransom paid for you because you're in bondage. If you try to live a life of service without being freed, it's going to be impossible for you. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I know, what's this? I don't feel like I'm in bondage. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. We're all sitting here. We're all doing okay. You say, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm in bondage. But if you don't feel like you're in bondage, you might be like those fish that are swimming around in the fishbowl. Those young fish and that older fish comes by and says, how's the water today, boys? And those young fish say, what's water? You might be saying to yourself, what's bondage? I don't feel like I'm in bondage. Here's a few ways that you and I are in bondage, that we won't be able to serve the way that Jesus wants us to until he liberates us. One is the bondage of death. It's not a polite thing to bring up and polite conversation. It's not something that we like to think about, but every single one of us is in bondage to death. And every single one of the people that we love is in bondage to death. All of us confined by the physical limitation of our lives. And each one of us, when death calls for us, we are going to have to go. We'll be like a dog on a leash. It's not something we have any control over. And Jesus Christ comes. He's saying he's going to pay a ransom so that our death isn't the final word. But before that can be the case, we have to realize that without him, that the death we face is an ultimate kind of death. That, that, our, that, our, final, that our final death is one that Jesus is going to take care of and, and pull away from us. But without him, that death is going to take us down into darkness. That's one kind of bondage that each one of us lives in. Here's another kind of bondage that every one of us lives in, and it's the bondage of our own weakness. I can't put this any better than Paul the Apostle does in Romans chapter seven. He says, it's real simple. He says, you know, the things that I wanna do, I don't really do them. And the things that I don't wanna do, I do those things. That's bondage. That's the kind of bondage that you and I realize that's going on in our life when we get to the beginning of a year and we say, I'm going to change. I am not going to fly off the handle. I am not going to say cruel words anymore to those that I love. I'm going to change. But then you do. You do use those cruel words. Why is that? It's because you're in bondage. It's because there's a greater power that has a hold of you. Sometimes it's things that not you are trying not to do. It's things that you want to do. You say, I'm going to invest this year in relationships. Or I'm going to invest this year in studying scripture more. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it a priority. But more often than not, you get to March and you think, I haven't really done that. Why? Because you're in bondage. Because there is a law that rules in your members, in your body. That's what Paul says in the book of Romans, that there is a law. And the only way that you can be set free from that is by the power of Christ. It's the only way for you to become a servant, for you to know him better, for you to become a, a slave to the people around you and a slave for God for them. The only way that's going to happen is through a ransom. And Jesus tells us what the ransom is here. Take a look. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom so you would be set free. Not only so that your sins would be forgiven, 
Not only so that you would have eternal life, but so that you would be set free to be really great. Not greatness as the world says it, but the kind of greatness that will echo through eternity. So that the kind of feeling that you're having right now, and I hope you are, thinking, I want to live a life that's really great. I want to live a life of following Jesus and imitating him. The only way that you can have that life is that you'll receive the gift that Jesus wants to give you, which is his power and his life and his love. And on the cross, he gives it away all to you. Jesus, who is the life, lays down his life and goes into the grave so that you and I, who are in bondage to death, will be set free from death. And the death that we ultimately face at the end won't be the end. Jesus, who had freedom in obeying his father, all of a sudden becomes shackled, becomes bound. He goes to bondage on the cross, held fast by nails, so that you and I would be set free, no longer bound. You know, in Galatians 5, Paul says, you know, there's going to be fruit that's going to come up in your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, all these ways of being a servant. And then at the very end, he says, if the spirit is doing that in your life, if Jesus has paid your ransom, he says, against such things, there is no law. It means you're not bound anymore. It means you're not gonna be compelled to be somebody that you don't want to be. It means you can really become a servant. And that's bringing us full circle. If you want to imitate Jesus in a life of service, and you should want to do that, you should do that. And if you have realized that Jesus has paid your ransom so that you could be liberated to do that, it means you've been set free, completely set free. And if you've been set free by Jesus, and you have, the question is, what will you do with your freedom? What will you do with your freedom? Amen? Amen, let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for setting us free in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Now, give us your spirit so that we can follow you into a life of service. We give you thanks that Jesus became our servant and became our slave. And we ask that you would help us to receive that gift that he gives us. For each one here, I pray that you would help us to receive it. Some of us maybe have never known the love that Jesus has for us. Help us to receive it. And for those of us who have known Jesus, help us to receive afresh his spirit, his love, his care, and his presence, which will help us to be the people that you want us to be. Give us not only the desire to serve, but also the power to do it. I pray that for each person here, each person that you've made in your image, each person that you love, each person that you care for. We give you thanks for that sustaining love and now equip us to be your people and we pray it in Christ's name, amen.